We're back for the next installment of our summer series covering, again, we actually have a movie each week to cover, and this time we have the return of one of our personal favorite franchises, but is this the installment that we were expecting? I don't necessarily think so, and as far as what that does for the movie quality, we're going to find out. I'm once again by Luke. Luke Reviews. I'm, of course, Dom the Movie Nerd. Luke, are you ready to review Transformers Rise of the Beasts? Well, after one of our most positive episodes last week, I think it's it's only right that we contrast it with one of our most eh episodes. Yes, I, I agree. I, I was worried you were going to go with a little bit of a different direction there, but I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. All of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Happy almost summer. I know it's always weird because like the colleges always get out at the end of May, but the high schoolers don't get out until close to the end of June. So it's always weird as far as how we officially start our summer season. But for us movie fans, we're almost a month into the summer already. We're recording this a little bit early. I am currently on vacation in Virginia right now, but I'm actually going to be heading home today. But that was never going to stop me from podcasting, especially when it comes to possibly my favorite film franchise of all time. Like, I, it, it's funny because I, I've gone down this rabbit hole a lot. I've thought about it as far as, like, what are my favorite film franchises of all time? You know, there's your Harry Potters, your Lord of the Rings, your Marvels, all of your Pixar movies, which I know that each one of those is, like, a series of micro-franchises, but I kind of consider it all under one blanket terminology. I've recently been getting into Studio Ghibli, but, man, I mean, Luke, we did our Michael Bay episode last year in preparation for Ambulance when that came out. And Ambulance, I, I, I'm going to make the argument that Ambulance was the true return to the theaters, even though everybody can, you know, say what they want it to be. Some people can say it was No Way Home. Some people could say it was Top Gun. Some people could say it was Avatar, whatever they want. For, for us, I, I think it was Ambulance personally, just because that movie was just like, yes, this is what movie, COVID movies of the last couple of years have been missing. And so naturally, when they announced, I, I believe it was during COVID, I believe it was during COVID that we were going to be getting the next live-action Transformers movie. It was supposed to come out last year, like many other movies. It was delayed to this summer. And so we, it, I, I think before we actually get into this movie, we need to break down the history of this franchise. Because well, we touched upon it a little bit in our Michael Bayhem or our Bayhem episode that we did last year where we ranked all of Michael Bay's movies. I don't think we actually got a chance to talk about the Transformers as a franchise, at least not on this podcast. I was originally planning on doing a first-time watch series of all of the Michael Transformers. Uh, we never first got to do that just for timing purposes. But, Luke, I wanted to know your thoughts. What uh, What's it called? When, when were you first introduced to the Transformers movies? And, and, and what, what are your thoughts on the franchise as a whole? Well, I must have, I don't remember exactly when, but it would have been when I was on the younger side, somewhere around probably 2010 or so, when I would have been eight years old. The first one I saw in theaters was Age of Extinction, and I, it was a very delightful cinematic experience for, for a 12 year old me. Same, same year as Amazing Spider Man 2, so I guess, and Interstellar. So 2014, big year for my Great year. Great movie year. development taste. Uh, uh, yeah, but but then I've rewatched it over and over again. Just like if they're not, it's not my favorite franchise. I would say probably not even top five. But somehow I always go back to it. Like the only one I really don't like is the Last Night. Uh, the rest of them are either good to okay. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen. I'm not as high on it as you are, but it's it's kind of meh. better than Rise of the Beast. I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, it's just. Big cars. That's that's what always drawn me. And this one, like, there's not even cars anymore. Like, what's the point? Well, I mean, you got Mirage. He's a Porsche. You know, you get a little bit of Bumblebee. In this yeah, but half of them are animals. And they them. don't even do yeah. anything. <laughs> Well, we'll get into that as far as, like I said, I, I think that goes into, yeah. like, the history and the lore of the Transformers. Uh, yeah, I, I think for the most part, I tend to agree with you on the Michael Bay movies. Like, th those these movies have, like, a very, very special place in my heart. The first movie I saw, like, in theaters, that was, like, I believe that was the first. It's funny because I always talk about how Marvel is, like, one of the only franchises that I've watched every single installment in theaters. But that's actually not true. The Transformers movies as well. 
going back to like when the first movie came out, I remember those trailers being like, I had no idea what it was. And I remember we had a family friend that was like massively into them. It like explained the whole lore of like the Autobots and the Decepticons and how they're aliens that come from this planet called Cybertron and how they've been fighting this giant civil war and how they've, you know, their war eventually makes its way to Earth. As far as the cause of the war, that kind of changes depending on which timeline you follow. There's a lot of different timelines that have been established throughout the course of its history. It originally started as an animated show in the 80s that had several successful sequels and spinoff shows. Some of the conflict is over their life source, which is Energon. Some of it ties over, you know, certain artifacts that tie into their lore and mythos, such as things like the AllSpark, the Matrix of Leadership and such. Um, and so I watched the first Michael Bay Transformers movie when it came out in theaters back in 2007. I was 10 years old, and I have talked about this pr pretty much to anyone who will listen, which is that that movie was such a special, like, foundational part of my child. I know everybody has criticized these movies to death as far as Michael Bay's just blatant, flagrant, like, use uh, of, uh, of what's it called, of, of oversexed female characters. And, well, I can't exactly say that they are wrong. I mean, for a 10-year-old male child, it's like, it's just, it's per it's uh, Megan Fox in those movies. It's just absolutely perfect. And as far as the plot for that first movie goes, it's simple, you know. It's a boy and his dog movie combined with a giant alien invasion war effort with a with, mixed in with the government conspiracy, you know. And I think the biggest problem that comes from the sequels is their tendency to get really repetitive, which is that they always tie into some event from human history. They all There's always a conspiracy wrapped in a mystery that goes into some government cover-up, and it always ends in a gigantic blast shoot-em-up battle. You know? That's what I'll say is tying it into And it's funny, I wrote about this in my review for Rise of the Beasts in the sense that the thing that sets myself apart, like, I'm a big fan of the Transformers lore. Like, I really... Really, really dig the lore. Whenever, like, and that's also the re part of the reason why I'm big into the Transformers TV shows because all the all of the animated Transformers television shows they've dove they've dove in really into the lore in a really exciting and interesting way. I could never really get into the G1 show. That was just always a little bit too corny for my taste. But I think really where I got invested was. When I watched the Transformers Beast Wars uh, cartoons in high school, because that show was just ahead of its time in a lot of different ways. I remember I watched Transformers Cybertron uh, with my brothers. I watched Transformers Prime, was a big fan of that. And then recently I watched the Netflix did a CG animated uh, anime uh, Transformers uh, three-part miniseries, they called it. It was a three different series of six episodes. They all tied into each other. The first part was their escape from Cybertron. The second part was their searching for the AllSpark throughout space. And the third part, they actually landed on prehistoric Earth and actually had their also had their interactions with the Maximals and Predacons. So you've been seeing the Beasts iteration of Transformers making their way into the lore and, and, and into the pop culture lexicon much more and more recently, especially given how critically um, how, how critically beloved uh, the Beast Wars cartoon is. But so that's, I guess, the thing that has always set me apart from Transformers fans is the problem is that my template, my starting point, my entry to these movies, unlike a lot of diehard Transformers movies, who Transformers fans who started with the 80s TV show, my entry point was the Michael Bay movies. And for me, that's always going to be kind of like what I base my enjoyment of these movies on and i know that's gonna set me at odds with a lot of people but like i just finished rewatching all the bay movies and it's just i i love them i, I there there's a reason like you said there was a reason why they're not the best movies even i have to admit that but there was a reason why i just keep coming to so they're just so much fun again they are gonzo they're ridiculous it's one of the only times where Everything that the critics say about these movies is 100% accurate and correct, and it does not deter my enjoyment even a little bit. You know, Michael Bay has always been a guy that has been very critically reviled, but he just doesn't care, and he does what he does, and he shoots his movies like nobody else, and nobody can tell me ever or convince me ever that anybody makes a movie that looks anything like his. So with that being said, unfortunately, like you said, the the last night, which was the last Michael Bay movie that he directed, even I can't defend that one. You know, like like I can defend Revenge of the Fall, like and Dark of the Moon. I can have a pretty good argument for why Dark, I think Dark of the Moon is a legitimately great movie. Um, I can I can defend Age of Extinction to an extent, although that movie has a lot of problems in hindsight. Because like you said, the more and more that you rewatch it, the more and more the problems start to rear their ugly heads. Because you're like, I'm sorry, that movie's almost three hours long. There is absolutely no defense for that at all. And then the last night I rewatched that, and I'm like. I can't make heads or tails of this movie. Like, I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it when I saw it back in theaters in 2017. I was 20 years old when that came. I, I, I realized that I had been spending a decade of my life with these movies. And I'm like, okay, this needs to stop. And so, but the problem is that, that, that has kind of, that kind of became the linchpin of this franchise is that the, the, these movies were too profitable. Like, the movies were critically reviled every single time, but these movies made 
so much money. It's funny because, like, I, I remember I was talking with some of my coworkers at my old job, and we were talking about Fast and Furious for a similar thing because, you know, it's a similar thing with Fast and Furious. But they're like, why do they keep making these movies? I'm like, because these movies make stupid stupid amounts of money. Everybody thought that Age of Extinction was going to bomb and it ended up being the highest grossing movie of the year that it came out. Like these movies always hit billion dollar revenue streams. So the problem that Paramount, the studio finds himself in is they want to move this franchise on from Michael Bay. They want to move this franchise and keep it going because it's too big of a moneymaker for them. Um, but they want to remove it from Michael Bay. They want to bring it back to like, you know, the kid friendly thing. And I think the ultimate problem with that is they removed the reason for the movie success because you have the Bumblebee spinoff, which is a prequel of sorts, even though tonally it looks and shares nothing of similarity with the Michael Bay movies. Um, I think, I think it was originally planned as a prequel and then they said, okay, it's a reboot actually. Yeah. It, it, like, like people can still call these movies like, uh, People can still call these movies prequels, but, like, I think it's safe to say that after this one, like, that, no, nah, this is a full-on reboot. So we got the Bumblebee movie, and I know a lot of people like that movie, but it just didn't do it for me. It was too corny. I thought it was too, like, um, I, I, I thought it was kind of in the, in the wave of, like, what I like to call new Hollywood filmmaking, which is that it doesn't have an ounce of spark. If you will, pun intended, I, I am crushing it with these puns right now. And it and it, it felt too derivative of other things, you know? And while the effects and the fight sequences were certainly good, it just, it lacked the magic that the first one had. And I was hoping that with the change in director for this one, we would be able to avoid that situation going into this. You know, again, I know a lot of people are going to really enjoy this because they're like, yes, this is everything I wanted. This is the Autobots without the, um, without the crass Michael Bay immaturity and insane action and way of shooting. And, you know, you got the Maximals in there, you got Unicron in there, you know, after he was hinted at in the last night. And while I will say that this movie, as far as improvements, I want to go in and, and, and talk about some good stuff first. But as far as improvements over Bumblebee, I can say, first off, great actually having a full cast of Transformers this time around. You know, I'm, I, I should also probably preface this by saying that I'm not going to review this like a conventional movie because, like I said, Transformers is very, very near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to be reviewing this like a true fanboy, not necessarily a uh not necessarily as, as a film critic if you will but i, I like in the full cast of transformers this time around you know that always helps you know i'm like transformers is supposed to be an ensemble piece you like seeing the autobots together you like seeing the decepticons together so the fact that we got a whole movie with just bumblebee after we'd spent five movies where bumblebee was one of the two centerpiece transformers i'm like i, I even said this i'm like this is almost become like a rule baked into these movies is that you can't have a transformers movie without optimus prime and you can't have a transformers movie without bumblebee and then bumblebee kind of broke that rule because outside of the opening sequence which is just incredible of, of that movie. You spend a whole movie with just Bumblebee pretty much as a dog. And, and it's kind of confusing, especially when you start that movie with him as this like badass warrior. And so you have that movie and now you have rise of the beasts, which like I said, I, I feel like we don't really need to dive into the plot because I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory because all these movies kind of follow a similar structure pattern, which is where again, there's a MacGuffin that they need to find in order to stop a great evil in order to, and it always ends at a giant, action smash and grab so i think it's funny that the amount of people who criticize the michael bay movies but are giving this movie a pass is kind of insane because i think structure wise this movie pretty much follows the same structure as any one of the it's michael shorter bay it's definitely shorter than for all sure, the other michael for bay sure, movies for sure i definitely noticed that I'm like oh it's over that was yeah. quick yeah because oh, i, I, I rewatched the first one just just because i hadn't watched it in a while oh, so good and the so, VFX are still better than in the right, new one. I right, stand it, by it's, that. It's, like, oh, I've been saying that for years now. It, it's crazy. I'm like, how have the effects gotten worse? I mean, I feel like I'm like, if you want to look at a perfect example as to how the VFX industry has has been treated in Hollywood progressively and how it's evolved over time, just look at the Transformers movie. Because <laughs> they've progressively gotten worse and more cartoony looking with each one. But... No, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because, like, sure, I mean, I guess the effects on the fight sequences, they're clearer, for sure. Like, I can see, like, every transformation sequence. I can see every character, for sure. It's not, like, overbloated with characters. But at the, well, I mean, maybe to an extent. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but I'm like, I, uh, but I, I guess the biggest difference between this one and the first one is that this one, I felt like I was watching a cartoon and not in a good way versus the first ones. It's like, those felt like, real movies like they felt visceral they felt on the ground like you felt like you were there like when, when they're blasted apart in egypt or in chicago or in china or wherever the hell they were the last night or in la in the first one like you feel like you're there you feel like you're viscerally on the ground you know and i just i, I did a not of, get that. a lot of people are calling this movie perfect saturday morning cartoon as if it's like a good thing i'm like mm. yeah I, I don't think that's a good thing to be yeah. honest 
Yeah, I, th that's definitely going to have to be one of those terms that we reevaluate as time goes on and as more of these movies come out. Because I feel like that's a term that a lot of people have been throwing out. You know, a lot of internet critics who we love to criticize as far as not really knowing what they're talking about. And I feel like that's something that we're going to need to examine as far as what actually makes for a good quote-unquote Saturday morning cartoon. Because, yeah, I'm just like... I, I, like, I, I am torn, like, I really am, because th this movie is not all bad. Like, it, like it, I feel like we were on, like, a little bit opposite of the spectrum. Like, I'm on the mess side leaning towards good, but at the same time, like, I can't ignore the criticisms, per se. So, I, I, I guess we should we should start by diving into this. How, how familiar are you with the Beast Wars and, and the Maximals as well? Because I, I believe you said that this was a point where the, the, that, that's kind of where the movie lost you a little bit. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the lore at all. The most I've seen from the the Beast Wars show is that like the CGI in that is not yeah, great. Yeah, it's um, but that's about it. Uh, this this is the first time hearing of an Optimus Primal or a, a Cheetor and an a, a Razor. <laughs> like, come on, you, you can't get a little creative with the name, like Cheetor. Like, come on. It's funny because when you say that, it sounds ridiculous. But I promise you when I say that, outside of the CG, which is very dated, the Beast Wars iteration of Transformers might be the best iteration of Transformers that there has been in the TV form. And, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that because, like, the, I, I think the biggest thing is it's, like, the Beast Wars is probably – I think the reason why so many people relate to that show is because that's the first Transformers it's where they mature for like, – like, like, I never got – outside of the movie – the 1984 movie that they did in between uh, at the halfway point of the original 84 show uh, of the, the original 80s show where they like killed off half the cast, including Optimus Prime, only to then bring him back during the course of the show because they realized they're like, yeah, we, we, we can't have Transformers that Optimus Prime. It just it doesn't work. Um, so so basically to give you a, a, a little bit of a a little bit of a, a crash course in the Beast Wars. So the Beast Wars, the Beast iterations, right? You got the Maximals and the Predacons. They're the descendants in the future of the Autobots and the Decepticons. And what happens is, is that through a rift in the space-time continuum at the course of the TV show, they travel back in time and actually land on prehistoric Earth before the uh what's it called during the events of when the Autobots and the Decepticons crashed on Earth. Because basically, you know, when the Autobots and the Decepticons, when they were escaping Cybertron, they were fighting over Earth. They both their ships crash landed on the planet and there was a period of several passing of thousands of years until they were reawakened by a volcano going off in the modern day. So Beast Wars takes place in between that time period when they crash landed on Earth versus when they woke up. And basically what happens is that it starts out, they think they're on an alien planet. And because of the time period when they crash landed, there are obviously no cars and trucks. There's no technology. So what the, what they are forced to scan is they are forced to scan uh, the forms of animals as their alternate, mode, alternate modes. And while I will admit that the names of them are certainly uncreative, like it's the 90s. They're trying to come up with, uh, you know. Uh, what's it called? They're 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 basically just going off the names of uh the, of the names. And if you think the maximal names are bad, just wait till you hear the names of of uh, of the Predacons, the, the Decepticon uh, descendants. Because oh my god! Well, first off, Megatron. They don't even try to get creative with that. They're just like oh, it's just Megatron. He just has the same. It's not the same Megatron, but he just has the name as the original. But the other ones, uh, that that's where you got the names of Dinobot and Scorponok that originated from. I bet you can guess what they transform into. You got Waspinator. You have. Pterosaur, you have Black Arachnia, and then you got an ant Predacon that they just call Inferno. Why? Because he has a gun that shoots fire. Like that, I, it is the laziest part of the show for sure. But what I will say is that it ends up getting very existential, very philosophical. Like there's actually a lot. Like you end up like getting attached to these characters in a way that you would not expect to at all. Um, there's actually a lot of like really tragic deaths on there as well. The show actually does get really violent and, and drops a lot of bodies in the last couple of shows. And especially when it turns into when they realize that they have kind of, uh, you know, this existentially, you know, um, supposed to be evolving to protect their, 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 their predecessors as well in order to preserve the timeline. It because the, the show elevates to a whole different level as well. And so while it does have that, of course, for sure, there, there is like a lot of really good stuff to love about it. And by the way, I will say that of all the Maximals, they only included four, and they did not include my personal fan favorite Maximal, that being Rat Trap. But I guess they probably couldn't justify it. I have heard of Rat Trap. Yes, Rat, Rat Trap is indeed kind of the 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 the, the, the he's the wisecracker, the Joker of the group, you know. And uh, what's it called? And I, I I guess that feasibly they probably thought that it's like okay, they, we probably can't have a giant rat running around with, you know, a, a, a cheetah and a rhino and a gorilla. That, that wouldn't exactly make sense. So needless to say, they have not adapted the Beast Wars 
entirely. They've changed a lot about it. I actually, you because know, that was my always my biggest question is I'm like, okay, so we got the Autobots and the Maximals in this. How is this going to work out exactly? And they ended up, uh, I, I think in terms of like meshing the two of them together, I think that was the best part. I think that's the part that they handled the best. I think that actually, surprisingly enough, the arc that they gave Optimus Prime in this movie is interesting in the sense that this is the first time ever in live action that Optimus Prime has actually had an arc. Because the one of the biggest criticisms I think that I have personally had about the Michael Bay Transformers movies is that the 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 Transformers themselves are not really characters. They're kind of just mouthpieces for exposition and terrible jokes. And then just other than that, just complete harbingers of destruction. Like, I'm sorry, like, he cannot tell me what character traits Ironhide and Sideswipe and Ratchet and, uh, and, 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 and the racist twins from Revenge of the Fallen. One's an ambulance, one's a pickup truck. One's <laughs> exactly, a, you're, you're one's making my point for me. They, they, they do not have very distinct personality traits and characteristics. And, the, I, well, I can't exactly say that that's exactly the case for this one other than, okay, there's a female Transformer now, and she speaks instead of just, you know, there, there being three of them and shooting it up. And, and one of them is voiced by Pete Davidson. And one of them is voiced by um by, by Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. And uh, as far as the Autobots go, and as far as the Maximals go, I mean, Cheetor and Rhinox, I think Cheetor gets like two lines in the whole movie. And Rhinox, if he talks at all, I, I don't hear him. But obviously, again, like the focus here is Optimus Prime for the Autobots and obviously Pete Davidson, Mirage, who they've kind of replaced Bumblebee as is like kind of the, the, the human interface. And then for the Maximal side, you have um, you have Optimus Primal, voiced by Ron Perlman, the leader of the Maximals and Air Razor. Um, and basically what's established in this chronology, this timeline, is that the Maximals are established as these guardians of the transwarp key, which is needed in order to transport Unicron from place to place. This is also the first live-action Transformer live-action appearance of Unicron, the World Eater, um, who is established in the Transformers lore as the ancient enemy of Primus, who is the original Transformer, who is the soul of their home planet, Cybertron. And in the original 80s movie, Unicron was established who formed and corrupted Megatron into Galvatron as kind of his herald, his Silver Surfer, as you, if you will. We're going to come back to that one. And then he basically kind of engaged uh, the new war with the Autobots after the death of Optimus Prime, in which Hot Rod is forced to step up and, and assume the position of the Matrix of Leadership and assume the position of, of the new Prime, Rodimus Prime. Yes, and Hot Rod, my favorite French-speaking Transformer. <laughs> he did not have a French accent in the original movie. But, uh, but yeah, so this is the first instance we get of Unicron. And the whole thing is that Unicron... This is where I was a little bit confused. I'm like, wait, I thought Unicron could travel on his own. I didn't realize he needed this transwarp key to travel from place to place. So that was like my first part where I was scratching my head and questioning it. But I was like, okay. Um, and then so Unicron basically sends out, rather than corrupting the Decepticon, this is also the, I would also like to say, this is the first instance of first tra live action Transformers installment where we get no Decepticons at all. There's no Megatron, no Starscream, none of the, not, none of the two, no Shockwave, no Soundwave, none of the two that we got in the last one. What were their names? Uh, Dropkick and I forgot the, the red one. Uh, that Angela Bassett voiced. Um, we don't get any of the Decepticons. Instead, we get the Terracons, who in this instance are the are the minions of Unicron. Uh, you get Scourge, the voice by Dinklage. You get uh, Battle Trap, voiced by uh, David Sobolov, and you get uh, Nightbird, voiced by um, I don't even know if that's the right one. Voiced by MJ Rodriguez, and they're kind of like your generic villains. You know, they they go to a place, they get the thing, they serve their master. You know, they kind of really don't have any distinct personal uh, characteristics outside of that. But so. They're, 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 I, I guess I've, we've been talking a lot about the Transformers that I haven't necessarily. I, so I, I guess in order to like kind of finish off the plot. So basically, you have the the beginning of the movie starts on the Maximals homeworld, which they don't exactly say where it is, but you basically have the previous leader of the Maximals who also transforms into a gorilla. I think his name is Ape Link or something like that. He is not a canon Maximal at all. Giving the Transform key to Optimus and the rest of the, the, rest of the Maximals to tell them to escape before Scourge kills him. They escape off the planet with the Transform key before Scourge can give it to Unicron. But Unicron consumes their planet, and they're established to have escaped to, a, to Earth and have been there for thousands of years and have split up the Transwarp key. Flash forward to the modern day, you get the human characters, which we'll get into them. But basically, in order to set up what the Autobot struggle is, the Autobots have been stuck on Earth for about seven years since the events of Bumblebee. There's one line, throwaway line where they reference that this is indeed a sequel to Bumblebee, because outside of that line and, and their designs, you wouldn't guess that it is, because none of the characters in Bumblebee make their appearance, not even John Cena, which was a little bit confusing to me. But... Um, what's it called? So this is an entirely new cast, entirely new setting where we switch from the West Coast to the East Coast. We're in Brooklyn now. And essentially, the Autobots want the Transwarp Key so that they can get back to Cybertron. Optimus Prime is dead set on getting back. He believes that they abandoned the planet uh, to, to death too early and that they were only that Earth was only meant to be a pit stop for them while they regrouped uh, regrouped their efforts and then went back to Cybertron. And I'm like, well, that, that doesn't do so well considering that there's only five Autobots left on Earth. You have 
Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, RC, Mirage, voiced by Pete Davidson, and Wheeljack, voiced by Crystal Fernandez, a.k.a. Daddy Rojas. Those are the only Autobots that we get in this movie. And let me get into the humans. And I think it's safe to say, I don't know for you, but for me, the humans have always been the weakest link of these movies. But I guess the difference is that because of the way that Michael Bay directs them, they've always just been so entertaining that I don't necessarily care. You know, going from Shia LaBeouf and John Turturro in the first three to Mark Wahlberg and whoever his sidekicks are in the last two. And then Haley Steinfeld is good. I, I love Haley Steinfeld. She's awesome. But yeah, I think it's safe to say Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback are not doing it for me in this movie. They're good actors. They're trying with what they got. You know, they're giving them like, you know, a corny message. Anthony Ramos is a, you know, struggling up and coming guy who's like, you know, he's trying to support his sick younger brother. He's a former army med, but, uh, but he can't get a job. And of course it's like, corny, terrible movie writing where it's like, oh, you know, you were in the army, but you couldn't work as part of a team. And I'm like, gee, I, I wonder where this could possibly going be going as far as his arc goes. And Dominique Fishback, I'm sorry, I don't think I've seen a more obvious instance of somebody who has no idea, who, who just cannot act opposite a green screen than Dominique Fishback, who is a terrific actor. Or if, if you watch if you watch Swarm earlier this year, the Donald Lover miniseries, she was absolutely spectacular and just jaw-droppingly like visceral in that show. But I think it's safe to say for me, Luke, I don't know about you, that the, the humans in this movie just did not do it for me. Yeah, I don't know. They, they just they didn't feel like they were really on an adventure with Transformers. Like, oh, this is a thing that happens. You know, let's just keep going. And I, they, I, I mentioned this in my, I, this is the only thing I wrote in my review. No one sweats in this movie. So <laughs> it, it doesn't feel real. In in every movie, Shia LaBeouf is actually drenched in sweat. He's yes. running around with a cube or running through the desert uh, trying to revive Optimus or whatever he does in those movies. He's oh always sweating. Everyone is sweating. This one, he blows off a Transformer's head. When, when, exactly. He blows off Starship's head in Dark of the Moon, and he's sweaty and filthy. No, you're, you're, you're 100% no, right. No, this one, and you know, I thought Anthony Ramos might you know, break out into song at one point. Yeah, right. With, with his In the Heights appearance. But uh, am I supposed to know? Except Anthony Ramos is the next big action star. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not yeah. convinced of that. Yeah, I don't exactly of Anthony Ramos and big name action star. Same as you will about Mark Wahlberg. I know a lot of people are critical of Mark Wahlberg, and I and I and understandably so, considering that Shia LaBeouf was like a quintessential part of those movies. But like, at least Mar you you think of Mark Wahlberg as an action star. I I don't think of Anthony Ramos as an action star, like at all. And uh, again, like, it just he was definitely better than Dominique Fishback. But yeah, there were definitely points where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't buy his interaction. Specifically, the moment where he like calls them all together to like do their final regroup, so they can you know charge the the giant structure that just builds out of nowhere. Which since when does a transwarp key generate an entire like structure that shoots a Marvel beam into outer space? I will say I, I have missed the sky beam. We haven't seen it for yeah, we haven't a good, seen the sky beam in years, a minute. So but, although I will nice say thing. I will say I, I had a couple problems with like the, the the whole Unicron sense of it, both in in that because uh the sky beam they they literally were ripping themselves off because for as much as people criticize the Dark of the Moon, the way that they were bringing Unicron to Earth. Yep. Like aesthetically looked exactly the same as in Dark of the Moon when they were trying to bring Cybertron to Earth the first time. You know, like almost exactly aesthetically the same, only like way cornier. So, so that was a little bit confusing. Also, plot wise, I was a little bit confused that essentially, with the exception of the MacGuffin, this is pretty much the exact same plot line as Transformers. Uh, sorry, as Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer, where you get a giant planet-eating destroyer of worlds that needs to send his harbinger down to ready the planet for his arrival. The only difference is the only difference here is the manner in which they do that. But that was something that I noticed immediately. I don't know if it was because of like the the late 2000s looking CGI or if it was just like the manner of the plot. I don't realize when I realized that, but I or maybe it was like the globe trotting nature because I know that in Rise of the Silver Surfer they they went to like other locations around the planet. But I was just like Wow, like this is even with the manner in which like Unicron was speaking to Scourge in all of those instances, you know. I will say though, and I, I, I still this is something that I still have not quite had as to whether this is a positive or a negative. Um, most interesting voice cast for a Transformers movie in a while, because obviously you have your regulars, you know, Peter, Peter Cullen, John DiMaggio, who I think has had a voiceover in every one of these movies. Let me just break down some of these voiceovers. So, you obviously, we've brought so we have Pete Davidson. As Mirage, you know, the, you know, human counterpart, which I, I don't know about you. I, I, I have my problems with him in this movie. I have the, 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 the pop culture. I enjoyed him. I, I think he, he was like, I, I never felt that a more, a Transformer that had more personality than him in the movie. That That's like the one main positive I can garner. I, 
I don't know. I think this in a weird way, everybody's always criticized Pete Davidson for not being that good of an actor. And like, especially now because of how big of a celebrity he is, just kind of his celebrity being distracting. And for the most part, I've tended to disagree, but largely because a lot of the stuff that I've really liked him in are things that have been built around him. Like Big Time Adolescence, King of Staten Island, and Bupkis are all purposefully built around him. And in a sense, like the, the you could say a similar thing about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. The Suicide Squad, he's in such a small part that it doesn't even matter. Like the way in which the dispatch's character is so comical that it's that, that again, you, you would be forgiven for like uh not even real not even remember that he's in the movie but here it's like i think this is the first time ever where pete davidson as a celebrity has been distracting because while i can't say that he's bad never i am never once saying that like oh it's 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 a transformer interacting with a human i'm just like oh it's just it's pete davidson as a transformer and like whatever he and the fact that he like sounds so different from the rest of the autobots you know even wheeljack who like wheeljack it's one line which i'm like okay this i don't even think this works as like an attempt at like a woke joke where he's like oh i speak spanish but i i sound like i'm, I'm talking with a spanish yeah. accent but i'm not spanish so that's racist i'm like what i'm like first of all how does a transformer even know about racism that doesn't even make sense you know you, you can't have it both ways but yeah, so so that that so that so that that's kind of like where my problems with Pete Davidson come in. Um, you have Peter Dinklage as Scourge, the you know the the, the leader of of the Terracons, you know Unicrons, Harbingers. Which again, okay, it's it's Peter Dinklage voicing another generic villain. There's really no personality. He has a few interesting lines with Prime. He does something interesting in the beginning that like kind of you know sets him really at, at heavy odds with Prime. And you know when, when when he's kind of mocking him, he's like, "Oh, this is the great Optimus Prime." You know, Primus would be disappointed. I, I thought those were cool, you because those are all the bits that tie to the Transformers lore. But as far as his personality and his character, I'm like, eh, whatever. But for me, like easily, easily, and and it's I think it's hilarious that you like mentioned like how corny their names were. But for me, these scene stealers, these scene stealers, and the reason to watch the movie are Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal, and Michelle Yeoh as Air Razor. I think those two are absolutely spectacular. I think whenever those two are on screen, that that's where the movie is cooking, uh, especially since Primal is supposed to be, like, kind of the, the, the yin to Optimus Prime's yang, because Pr Prime is a little bit, like, I mean, Prime's been, like, kind of burned out and kind of been a little, on a little bit of an angry tear for the last couple times we've seen him, really since Age of Extinction, and understandably so, because the humans that he has laid down his life for so often just kind of turned on him and his kind. And But this one... Again, we, we, we get a little bit more of a battle battle craze, a little bit more of a world-weary prime. He's a little bit angry. He's like, you know, I'm just trying to get home to Cybertron, you know, screw these humans, all that. Um, what's it called? He's like, these humans will turn on us at the first moment they get, which I can't necessarily say that he's wrong in 2023. But then when he meets Primal and they meet up with the Maximals later on, Primal's like, you know, the mission comes first. You know, we are happy to sacrifice and lay down our lives for for these humans. You know, it's it's not about us. It's about the greater cause. And I guess that's it. And I guess that kind of is an interesting positive because when you throw up the existential threat of the Maximals where they, they have to defend against a literal planet eater as opposed to Optimus who just wants to get back to Cybertron to protect his Autobots in order to, you know, get back to the status quo, quote unquote. It, it is uh, – and that, that part actually was an interesting struggle, so I like that. And Perlman just – Perlman is a transformer. I don't think I've seen a more perfect melding of an actor's skills with a, with a certain, uh, well, you know, with a certain set of characters. And the same can be said for Michelle Yeoh as Air Razor, where she's the first Maximal that the Autobots meet, and she brings this kind of serene calmness to it, you know, and, and, and there's something really sad and tragic that happens uh, with the two of them. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the two leaders uh, and, and vocal set pieces of the Maximals that happens uh, halfway through the movie uh, that I think actually sets them on a really interesting arc before kind of the final uh, battle, which is just your usual, like, clunking together of metal, you know? So, uh, what's it called? So, so with all, all that being said, like, what, what did you think of, of? So, what were your thoughts on like the individual performances and, and and arcs that the Transformers had? Yeah, I do agree that Optimus actually had somewhat of an arc. Usually, just like we must protect the humans, and was, of course, there's there's always the end speech where he's like, whatever. It was iconic and, end and, and, the end speech voice followed by Lincoln Park song. Then Lincoln Park starts playing. Uh, yeah, I just enjoyed the dynamic between some of the transformers i guess it, it like you mentioned it, the having the ensemble back after bumblebee is is quite nice uh but yeah like like there's only a few of them that actually stand out like they signed line b for like the whole movie which yeah why he's he's like everyone's yeah. favorite why would, yeah. why would you do that like maybe they just couldn't think of any more references that he could say uh, through the radio, which which I've always enjoyed the gimmick of him talking through the radio. Yeah, but that I will say, though, this movie, they, they got particularly obnoxious, like particularly obnoxious. 
but there was a, a great joke about um I'm Optimus says to him like I'm I'm not gonna let you go to that drive-in movie theater anymore. <laughs> I, I did enjoy that. But, that was but some, some of the other stuff was a, a little bit on the nose. Uh but still uh yeah, like we mentioned, Cheetor and Rhinox they have no lines. Which for uh, me that particularly killed me because Cheetor and Rhinox are such a distinct to have such distinct characteristics in in the Beast Wars cartoon. Cheetor is kind of like the kid of the group, you know, he's kind of the overeager one, but he matures and grows a lot as the series goes on. And Rhinox is kind of like the voice of Sage Wisdom. He's their te- he's their tech help. Optimus has often said that Rhinox could easily lead the Maximals in his place, you know, and they just essentially make him like their big gun in this one. And I don't think Rhinox has a single line in this, which is particularly distressing for me personally. Because I, like, if you watch the original Beast Wars cartoon, like, Rhinox is easily one of the best characters. Yeah, RC and Wheeljack don't really do much. Uh, I I did enjoy the few stratosphere lines that that he had. I'm very Scottish. (laughs) I'm a big... For no reason. No, that was was just random but fun. Uh... Uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, uh, like Michelle Yeoh, but I didn't think the Air Razor was much. And then, like you said, Ron Perlman was a was a standout of yeah. the of the whole film, probably. Yes, easily. Also, I I, I will say, and, and I would forgive people for not realizing this, but you have another gigantic, big, or reasonably big name actor. You have Coleman Domingo of Euphoria, Candyman, uh, um, and and uh, and and uh, Zola fame recently, uh, voicing Unicron, which. You would be forgiven for not recognizing him as voicing Unicron because it's kind of a generic voice. I will also point out for fans of the Transformers mythos that Luke, I'm not sure if you were familiar with, but in in, in Unicron's first debut appearance in the Transformers uh, 80s animated film, Orson Welles, the late great Orson Welles. This I do know. (laughs) Lent his voice performance to Unicron in his final role before his death shortly thereafter. And I believe that, again, Orson Welles was greatly known for being a relentless alcoholic in those later days. He, he would shoot many commercials without even remembering or re- what, that, that he did them or realizing that he did them. And I believe that in his final eulogy before, in his final speech before his death, he stated that my last performance was I was voicing a toy, something along those lines. And I, I that, that is just will always be something of, of great, great amusement to me. But yeah, like I said, outside of the, the Transformers mythos, the plot itself is kind of really generic. Like I said, it's another like just basic smash and grab, uh, find the MacGuffin. Oh no, the bad guys have the MacGuffin. Oh no, they're going to open the portal and, and bring in the big bad. We have to stop them. All of that. You know, you, you have uh, a Pete Davidson, the, the Mirage gets, gets, uh, gets badly injured. So he has to form a, a, a an exo battle suit, uh, with, with, with Anthony Ramos's character. When they fight at the end, you know, you get some cool transformation sequences. I will say that my heart did skip a beat when I heard uh, when I heard uh, Primal scream "Maximize," which is basically what what, what the um what, what what the Maximals say when they transform. You know, instead of saying you know roll out or just transforming in general, they they always say "Maximize," and then they, before they transform into their into their robot modes, which for me was always uh was, that 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 and I even almost did it in like the vocal inclinations of the original voice actor Gary Chalk. So that 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 definitely that 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 kind of hit me in the nostalgia feels right there. But so couple points that I want to talk about a little, little bit a little bit spoiler heavy you know like I said there haven't been too many spoilers to talk about but uh like you mentioned they, they sideline B for the movie they, they have they have at, at the beginning of the movie and I, I'm still questioning why they do this I'm guessing they only do this so they could give Optimus Prime like an actual arc which is that at the beginning of the movie when they're fighting uh the when when the when the Autobots are fighting with the uh Terracons for the first time Scourge kills Bumblebee like out of nowhere and like this is not the first time we have seen a Transformer die and come back to life in the same movie. Famously, this was what happened with Optimus Prime in Revenge of the Fallen, where Megatron stabs him, forcing Sam to have to go and find the Matrix of Leadership in order to bring him back. But the difference is that that is the focus of the movie because they need Optimus back in order to defeat the Fallen because Optimus is the only one who's able to do it. And in this one, they just kill B so they can just get him out of the way for Optimus to have an arc and hate Scourge. Only to then bring him back with a ludicrous, um, with a ludicrous explanation. It's like, oh, there's a secret energon deposit here on this spot on Earth, but it's dormant, and so only a specific energy blast can bring him back. I'm like, oh, okay, so you, so you already ruined. Like, like I'm like, first of all, it would have actually been really interesting and really ballsy if you took arguably the most popular Autobot and actually killed him off. Like, that would be really interesting because, like, even in the animated 
movie back in 84 where they're dropping like they're dropping bodies left and right. Optimus dies, Ironhide dies, Ratchet dies, Wheeljack dies, you know, where the Ultra Magnus dies, where they're dropping bodies left and right. You're never once worried that Bumblebee is going to die. And this is the first real instance where you're actually worried that Bumblebee's going to die. And then they just I wasn't back. worried. Right. I wasn't worried but, at all. Like, oh, I saw, I saw the clip in the trailer of him jumping out of the right, plane. Right, exactly. <laughs> you're like, okay, well, so they already spoiled that. Um, so so th so that was that that was a point where I'm like, oh well, okay, you just wait, wait to just deflate the tension right out of that. Uh, the, the 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 second major instance is uh the, the corruption of Air Razor, which is a sad moment for sure, especially after it's established that again, Optimus and Air, you know, Primal, I should say, and Air Razor have this bond as kind of like the again the like when they meet up, they haven't seen each other in years because for whatever reason, Optimus, Cheetor, and Rhinox are hiding out in Peru, guiding one piece of the Transwarp Drive, while Air Razor hides the other piece. And then goes to another piece of the point of, part of the planet. So they haven't seen each other in uh, several thousand years. And so they finally reunite. Uh, well, well, first what happens is that you have the thing where, where it's established that like, oh, Scourge has the ability to infect other Transformers with Unicron's dark energy. And so uh, during dur when they first get to Peru, during the Autobots and Terracon's second fight, Air Razor is there to help them. But Scourge infects her by shooting like this disc thing under her wing. That like starts infecting her with Unicron's dark energy. So they reunite with the Maximals. And then Air Razor, you know, starts being corrupted and ends up uh giving the transwarp drive to Scourge and then starts attacking Dominique Fishback's character. And Primal is is forced to kill her in a very, very tragic scene. Um and and I'm just like and that part for me, I will say, like I said, because uh, Perlman and Michelle Yeoh are so much better than this movie calls for, uh, that scene is actually like quite tragic when, when Michelle Yeoh is like, you know, you have the thing where it's like, you know, fight the fight it, fight the corruption. And she's like, I can't, Unicron's too strong, the mission comes first, you have to kill me. And so Primal is forced to kill her, which the way that he kills her, I'm a little bit confused by. Like, what, what, did, what did he do? What, did, did he choke her out? Like, because I thought that he was going to, like, you know, because, again, that's the thing that also differentiates it. They're very clearly trying to make this a lot more kid-friendly. They're not at all trying to uh, the, be like the Michael Bay movie, which got so viscerally violent in terms of how they blew apart. Like, you literally had an agent in the beginning of Age of Extinction locked down, sucking Ratchet's spark out, which was just, like, it was it was so like 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 unbelievably violent and just yet another instance of them flexing with a PG thirteen uh, rating. But so like I, I don't know like like what it, like what what was he like hugging her to death like like it said that uh, I don't remember I didn't like, re I don't remember like uh, so just just because of like how the how the um. How, how that sequence was mapped out. And then you have the final big bad fight. You know, you have this instance where Optimus is like, oh, I have to destroy the, tra you know, because it's like Elena's going to shut it down. The whole thing is that Optimus wants the transwarp key because they can return them to Cybertron. And then at the end, of course, you know, uh, Scourge, before Optimus kills him, destroys the uh, the device, the, the computer, so Elena can't input an access code that would shut down the device. So they have to destroy the transwarp drive, which is about to suck Optimus up into the into the sky and then primal and noah save him and so like i said it, it's very predictable like i said it's just every time they cut back they spend way too much time with the humans they don't spend enough time with the transformer fights and action sequences which say which will about the bay movies but they always did that uh they always did that the best i personally think and um yeah and then you have the stinger at the end which is one of the most confusing out of nowhere like just random inserts just be like hey not only are we going to be back for a sequel but we're gonna have crossovers with 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 a franchise that, again, would would be I, I would be remiss if I did not remind people that this is a franchise that existed. GI Joe, we we get this crossover at the end, which I know that they've been hinting at and trying to do a GI Joe Transformers crossover for years. You know, you you had a GI Joe show that ran on the hub around the same time that Transformers Prime did. Uh, also, GI Joe, another very very mega popular. 80s kid TV show. That is one of the ones that, uh, unlike Transformers and Ninja Turtles, I could never really get into. I saw both the live action movies when they came out in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I enjoyed the first one. Can't say I was a fan of the second one with The Rock and Bruce Willis. So, what did you think of the of, of the random GI Joe insert at the end? Yeah, a few people have said like, "Oh my god, the ending is absolutely insane!" Like, whoa what kind of reveal is this and like i had seen like a few weeks ago on twitter like one of these scoop accounts or whatever that there's going to be a transformers and gi joe crossover like, oh, that's interesting and then we turn it over I'm like oh yeah that thing i saw on twitter two weeks ago i'm like okay whatever i'm not a fan of the gi joe things i haven't seen anything um i just know that there's a man called joe 
Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe no, maybe actually, not even. Not even. I, I, I believe he's the name of like the, the founder of the organization. But yeah, it's an organization called G.I. Joe. It's like a paramilitary unit. And they fight this terrorist organization called Cobra. And then the, the leader is, is Cobra Commander. And then this big... Uh, uh, his big, his big, uh, his biggest characteristic is that he sounds like this, and I will come back for the Joes. And they did a very, very funny community episode where they parodied it. I, I believe some of the nicknames that they have are uh, you, you have Roadblock, you have um, uh, you, you, you have Snake Eyes, who is who is a ninja that is teamed up with them, and uh, uh, a couple of other ones that I that I can't that I cannot uh, remember the name. But I believe some of the leaders' names are Duke and Flint. Uh, very, 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 very creative names. The, the, the villain names, the, the members of the Cobra. You have uh, Destro. You have uh, Firefly. Uh, Lady Jane, I think, is the name of one of them. Yeah, G.I. Joe was never one that I particularly could get invested in. So I can't say that that one got me really excited where Anthony Ramos is going into this interview with Michael Kelly. Which I'm like, okay, since when is Michael Kelly enough of a big name to really like, you know, spark people's interest? But okay, I, I guess he is. And, uh, and and it's like supposed to be this big reveal where he's like, yes, you know, this is a secret government influx where he, you know, does the thing where he moves a, uh, a, a, a trophy hanging on the wall that, that opens the wall that reveals the secret, uh, super secret government base where they're working on technology. And I'm like, okay, so Anthony Ramos is getting recruited to G.I. Joe. And I'm like, Okay, that, that's that's a thing that happened in this movie. I, it has I was hoping to do with... it was going to be like, this is Sector 7 and John Turturro. Yeah, was yeah. Like, that's what I was hoping no. to, you know, or like a younger, like like a CG, like younger John Turturro, you know, that would have been fun. Because I don't care what anybody said. John Turturro is fantastic in these movies, even even if unfortunately Michael Bay was forcing him to, you know, was, was I, although Michael Bay was just like fucking around with him at a certain point. Let, 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 let's just, he had him get peed on by Bumblebee in the first one. He stuck him underneath. A, 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 a Transformer's actual ball sack in Revenge of the Fallen. He literally cuts off his legs and makes him a paraplegic in three. And then in the last night, they bring him back for just a little bit and he's magically walking again and he's forced to just talk about goat scrotums and shit like that, you know? Like, like, and like, <laughs> just, and, and John Turturro is such a trooper for dealing with that and consistently being the most, the most entertaining part of these movies. But yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much wraps our conversation. I feel like that's all that I have to say about Rise of the Beast. So, so Luke, I mean, as far as like setting up like really any anticipation for these, I feel like the old. I, I think I should also pref add by saying that th that in addition to any future live action Transformers installments that we get, you know, Stephen Cables Jr., the director, he's also the director of Creed Two, has stated that he wants to do that. This was the beginning of a new trilogy, and I'll be interested to see where it goes. But unfortunately, I have to say that if the humans continue to be like the focus of these movies, I can't say that I'm going to remain very interested because the problem is that we've had enough Transformers properties now where the Transformers are the centerpiece, not the humans and in the most recent like i said i i would heavily recommend that if you do want to get more into the transformers lord to watch the anime show on uh on netflix as a transformers war for cybertron with subtitled uh siege earthrise and kingdom i would definitely recommend that because i've seen enough transformers now where there are little to no humans involved and i have to say that for my money it is much better and much more engrossing i should also say that netflix in addition is doing another solo animated film. Actually, sorry, no, not Netflix. A solo animated Transformers film is coming out in theaters, I believe sometime next year, which will feature an entirely all-star voice cast. I believe you have uh, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Brian Tyree Henry, um, Lawrence Fishburne, and um and 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 a, and a couple of other people. There was a uh, lot. There was a lot. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people. So that will be coming out in theaters um next year as well. Just give me one second to pull it up because i never remember the name of it i think it's uh transformers one is what it'd be called it will be an origin story set on cybertron focusing on the origin of optimus and megatron it will star chris hemsworth as optimus prime uh brian terry henry as megatron scarlett johansson as alita one keegan michael key as bumblebee still don't know how i how i feel about that and then john ham as sentinel prime who is the leader of the autobots at the time and then lawrence fishburne as alpha trion who is established in uh, the Transformers lore as Optimus Prime's mentor, one of the original 13 Primes. It will be directed by Josh Cooley, the director of Toy Story 4. And so I, I should also say that that will also be a thing that will be happening, that will be released in theaters sometime next year. So with that being said, Luke, what, what are your final thoughts and star rating for Transformer Eyes of the Beasts? Well, I think with this one, I definitely felt that the the viewer demographic is, is not quite me. It, it is for a, a slightly younger audience, so... I won't be anticipating the next one too hotly, but the animated movie does sound a lot more interesting. Like we we'll, we'll, we don't know what kind of animation style they're gonna go for. Um, you know, the Spider Verse influence hopefully will 
carry through on that. But yes. for this one, uh, yeah, even with lowered expectations, I was a little disappointed. So I, I landed at a at a two point five out of five, kind of in the, in the middle of a two point five. Yeah, I, I I would tend to go a little bit higher, like I said, because you, you, I finally got the Maximals in live action. There there was a, just enough for me to enjoy about this movie. Did not hate it entirely, but not nearly enough to make me love it as much. Like I said, I I, I ranked it like just in the middle. I had the first four Bay movies ranked above it, but I ranked above it. But then I had this one ranked above Bumblebee and the Last Night. And you know, of of course, I I had a bunch of people coming at me for my rankings, and I'm like, guess what? I don't care. So while I enjoyed the Maximals, can't say I was a fan of the humans. I definitely think that going forward, I need my Transformers content to be human free. You know, because I've just I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of it. So I I, I went a little I went a full star higher than you. I, I gave this a three and a half out of five. It's definitely it's not at all the worst movie that I've seen so far this year. It's it's better than quite a few other movies that I've seen. But I, I unfortunately cannot say that this will be one of my favorites or making it into my top ten before the end of the year. So with that being said. Thank you, Luke, once again for joining me on this podcast. You know, like I said, we had to shoot this a little bit earlier uh, because I have a bus to catch right now. But I'm glad that we were able to do this. Uh, what's I'm glad that we were able to join together once again. You know, uh, once you know, it, it, it prove that we once again have more to us than meets the eye. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Yes, it, 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 we did find a way to pull off it because life uh, finds a way, as <laughs> one Ian Malcolm would say. Uh, oh my god but no you can find me at luke underscore reviews on instagram and youtube uh exams over soon so hopefully a video soon um don't know what about yet but it'll be something good i'm sure uh otherwise you can find me here more often than not Indeed, absolutely. Like I said, always happy to have you as you've pretty much almost been like, it's almost to a point where you're pretty much like the permanent co-host. Not quite. Like I said, there's, there's a few people, it's between you, it's between you and Dustin at this point, but uh, it's, uh, but, but like I said, it, it's getting there in terms of like who's been on more episodes. But of course, you can follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast across all platforms. Be sure to subscribe to us if you're watching us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch. This episode will be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts tomorrow morning. And as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next weekend for the next installment of the summer series, The Flash.